We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 972.1S1704, certificate number 10109. The Potsdam Giants. Beat it or I'll call the Brute Squad. I'm on the Brute Squad. You are the Brute Squad. Uh, the average height of an American CEO in 2005 was six foot even. You know, the average age of a combat soldier in Vietnam was 19. Uh, what was the average height of a combat soldier in Vietnam? 19. 19 feet. No, 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 19. 19 feet tall. 19. 19. Striding over the jungle like Dr. Manhattan. You'd think we would have won. 19 meters tall. It's just two and, a half to- two and a half inches taller than the American average is the CEO height. Uh, the American average is 5'10 and the CEO is six foot. Five, nine and a half, six foot, I think. And uh, And how tall are you? I am five. I don't, I'm not one of these round uppers. Like I, I, I'm five ten. ten and three quarters. No, probably less. I'm probably five ten and a half, and I just say five ten. Five ten. Yeah. You're a round downer. Yeah, I'm not. I, I've never understood. I mean, I have five ten privilege, which is I'm a perfectly average height and don't have to. We've talked about this before. You're a perfect medium. Have you ever? Do you know shortish people who have been formed by it? You know where that's a core element of, of what made them who they are yeah i think so but I, you know most of the most of the men at least i know who are who are below the national average typically have a have a sense of humor about it and they they kind of uh, have thought about how it's shaped their uh, identity and they're i mean if not proud then at least um Mary acquiescent. They're yeah, mar- I mean, they're Mary. You know, they're they are not. Um, they're not bitter. If you can't be tall, be Mary. It's a weird thing to be bitter about something that that is in, native to you, and 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 so irrelevant. Yeah, right. Or at least should be so. To be irrelevant. to be uh, to be small and bald is to feel like you've been dealt a double a double whammy. But all because everyone can see the top of your head. Yeah, all the all the smaller stature men I know who are bald have just. They're just double merry. <laughs> they're they're so merry, and you know, and they won't tell me where they hid their pot of gold, and that's infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> well, you keep asking, and I'm sure. I'm like, come on, we've been friends for years, and they're like, you're still doing that joke. Where's your pot of gold? My sister's family is all very short. Both my sister and her husband are are are, are, are wee little people, <laughs> and as a result, they have four. Tiny, tiny children, you know, vanishingly each tinier than the last, like a little Russian uh, Matryoshka doll. 
and uh, they have a good sense of humor about it. Yeah. I, I think you, I mean, maybe um, I kind of realized that because they were self-aware about it doesn't mean they want to hear anyone else joke about it. Right. You know, that's, I think that's an important recognition. Right. I mean, you have a very lighthearted take on your Mormonism, but you don't like me joking about it. Well, you haven't put in the time. <laughs> Look, I read three or four books about it 18 years ago. That's the thing. People who are like, I, uh, I, I had a Mormon friend in the army. I'm, I'm going to drop some lingo here and you're going to think it's funny. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I promise I'm not. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. So what I got, I grew late, right? Until I was in... 10th grade, I was just very average sized. Um, that's why you're so merry. You have a small right. man's personality. That's right. Inside I, a big beefy uh, corpus. I didn't think uh, that I was going to, I didn't think that si size was going to be any element of who I was. And when I did grow, I, di I wasn't aware of it. I mean, my bones hurt or whatever, but there was a day uh, I was walking with my best, my high school best friend who had always in junior high and early high school, had always bullied me in a, in a, in a friendly way, in a merry way. But, you know, we would wrestle and he would pin me and we would, you know, shadow box and he would really punch me. And we we're walking down the street together. You know, and, nowadays you guys could say how you really felt about each other. And we really, you, you, you wouldn't know, have to do, you and, wouldn't have to do all that stuff. And he would take my underwear off, <laughs> but we would, uh, we were walking down the street and I looked over at a shop window at our reflections, and I was looking over the top of his head. This is an 11th grade. You, you look know. like the cover of a Simon and Garfunkel we record. Did, we all did. I, you know, and I grew, I grew a foot in like a, in a year. And I looked over and I was like, oh my God, look how small you are. And he like got his face all clenched up and he was like, I know you don't have to. And he's a regular sized person. It was just that I had become. You're the problem. This weird thing. And I didn't, I didn't know it. And somehow I, I never internalized that I was big until many years later, until like late in my 20s, I realized, oh, part of the reason the world feels like it does is that, is that I'm large. And I'm not even that large. How does the world feel like it does? Like you, you feel ungainly in it or you feel like it's your oyster? Well, I never have, a, I never have a, an issue in crowds not knowing where I am, right? In any crowd, I can always see all the way to the, end of the crowd. And that's a huge difference. I think it just makes, uh, it makes it, a big difference. It's a tactical difference. Yeah. Well, it's just a feeling of it just as that a, comes into play in today's show. I feel like a lot of people when they're in a crowd, they don't know the extent of it, right? They can't see to the ends and they feel, I don't think they feel necessarily claustrophobic. It's the only thing they know, but, um, but being able to see always to the exits or to the edge uh, is see assa assassins coming in. You can always see the assassins. You can always make your way to the corner. Um, the disadvantage of course is on an airplane. It's not anything that is made that is, that's mass produced for humans is made for the mean, not for the, not for the edge. So nothing fits, nothing fits. And it does unfortunately have an impact on, I, this is perhaps more for men than for women, but at least in America, it still has an impact on outcomes like success and income. Only 3% of Fortune 500 CEOs are 5'7 or, or, or shorter. Like right. fully 97% of CEOs have to be 5'8 or for some reason, the universe rejects you. It feels like a Malcolm Gladwell question where if computers could pick CEOs, 
they would do an infinitely better job based on like three metrics. You wouldn't, put, yeah. If you were programming this, you would not put height in your top one hundred. Right, but you 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 sit and you interview five people, and they all come in, and then the tall one comes in, and you're like, ooh, look wow. at look at that, look at his chin. Well, my goodness, I mean, it certainly explains the abundance of mediocre leaders making bad decisions, right? <laughs> they are just six foot two guys with good hair and, and uh, you know, a good, uh, a good short game uh, on the golf course. We were talking about it earlier. You know, I'm, neither of us are in corporate America, but we both have our places where we're proximate to it. Yeah. And I was just discussing a CEO that I know who is handsome and his shirts fit and he is a callow and and uninsightful person. And the combination of like, oh, he really looks like a CEO. And he's also terrible. Not terrible. He's just he's just not who, right. of the seven people that are standing in the room, he's the last one that it would, has a strategic sense, is good at. Interesting idea about anything. CEOing. But he looks like the CEO. He talks like the CEO. And so he's the CEO. And it, you know, and it offends me at a, at like a profound level, because I know a woman who would be a better CEO who not only isn't the CEO, but isn't in contention. Look how big hearted you are as a, as a tall white man willing to forego your privilege. Well, the thing is I would be the best CEO, of that <laughs> but I'm not, but it wouldn't be because of my tallness. It's because of my strategy. The, uh, maybe this will all go away in a world where we are all just little zoom avatars in our virtual meetings. You know, we can all. We can all have the square heads and the and the, the silver locks of a CEO. I, I was on a Zoom poker game the other day, and one of the uh, people had their Zoom background was that foreshortening of um, of focus. You know how the it's like a what would you call it? it? The background was out of focus. It's, it was blurry, like a portrait mode in an like iPhone. Portrait mode. That's exactly right. But that was their Zoom background, and I immediately wanted them to win. It just it it just seemed like they were more important because they had because they, of their aesthetic. Yeah, because their because their Zoom uh, picture looked like they were being photographed by Diane Arbus. I did make a note the other day of uh, rock bands that have an extremely tall member. Go on. Uh, well, I mean, you would know some firsthand. Yeah. Who are the tallest people in rock? You know firsthand. Uh, well, Harvey Dangers, lead singer Sean Nelson, is six five. Uh, yeah, if you count the hair. Oh no, that's he's six nine. Then uh, let's see. There, well, the national. There's another the big one. Singer? There's another big one in Seattle. Uh, let's see another. Oh, right, of course, um, Chris Novoselic. Yeah, Nirvana had tall. a six. How tall is that guy? Six, six seven? seven. Yeah. Jeez. Duff McKagan's pretty tall, but no, there's always there's always the one the weird the one um, like weird tall person. That's that's one of the options if your band is going to be anything other than. Five foot nine uh, white dudes. You're going to have cute girl. You're going to have black bass player. You're going to have unusual tall guy. Tom York is five five. However, those guys are all small except for the one. The no, gu- that's what the, I'm saying. The guitar player. Yeah, uh, Ed O'Brien. Yeah. Is that right? He is six four. I think. Yeah, the, so he's he's a foot taller than the other guitar player. Yeah, and then the rest of them are all small. Thurston Moore, I believe, is very tall. Is that true? Yes, and also Thurston Moore six six. Jeez, what is the um, Nels Klein is tall. Yes, uh, did I have that? Did I have Wilco on my list? I did not. East Street Band. Who's extremely tall? Cla- oh, Clarence Clemens was probably right. Yeah, big, big in every dimension. Clarence Clemens height. Yeah, six five. 
of the East. Clarence Clemens was six five. Wow. There's cool. somebody very tall in the Cardigans in Boston. Who's tall in Fleetwood Mac? It must oh, be. Oh, it's um, uh, Mick Fleetwood. It's very tall. Oh, he is. Mick Fleetwood is six five. And yeah, the guy in Boston, um, the 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 main guy, Tom Schultz. This tall. does seem like it's, there's a CEO effect in, uh, if nothing else, in classic rock, where you want to have some tall, imposing guy on stage, even if maybe he wasn't the best in the audition. Well, but you'll notice that it's almost it's, never the it's lead not the singer. front man. That's true. Yeah, maybe that would be weird. I guess Sonic Youth is the case where uh, it was Slip, he, Slipknot. He, yeah, I guess I I can picture that guy. Um, but, well, I want to hear the rest of the list. Well, Frankie Lyman and the teenagers, if you look at um, pictures of them, there's like one guy that won't even, you know, there's just tall drink of water. You know, they're, they're you know, African-American teens when that band started. They were literally right. teenagers from, I want to say Philadelphia. And there is one guy who's clearly on the school basketball team and is just a foot taller than the rest of them. And I didn't even notice till I watched footage of them on, um, I think maybe still photos kind of try to conceal it. But if you watch them on Ed Sullivan or something, uh, like you can tell he's a foot tall. Oh, they're from, uh, no, they're from Washington Heights. Oh, there. Joey Ramone was six, six. The Ramones are on my list. Marillion. I guess I can't picture. I guess I can't picture uh, arcade fire. That might be. Yeah. The, the guy, the guy is tall. Is that the arcade fire? Oh, wait, is that right? He's seven one. Who? The guy from arcade fire. Yeah. No. Win Butler Height. Oh no, that's not right. Six four. Why does it say he's seven one? Apparently, Buckethead is six six, and that's even before the bucket. <laughs> oh right, John Phillips from the Mamas and the Papas was always famously tall. Oh, is that true? Yeah, he's well. You know, you see those Mamas and Papas pictures, and he's just oh, he's like Mick Fleetwood. He's kind of gangly, scarecrow of a dude. Uh, one of the whalers. also a bad actor. Snoop Dogg six four. Oh, D- Josh Hom from the, or Hami from uh, the Queens of the Stone Age. He was always, he's just slightly taller than me, but he's really a brick wall of a dude. Um, and Zach Wild too. These are like the heavy rock dudes that are Rick Ocasek. How tall is Rick Ocasek? He's 6'4". Well, I mean, they're well, all about the same. Not anymore. Uh, uh, Roger Waters, he's the same height as me. They're all like tall, but not, you wouldn't think Brian May was 6'2", but he was. It does seem like there is some CEO effect here where, you you know, rock stars have to be bigger than life in both ways. But, you know, the opposite is true of movie stars, right? They're, yeah, they're all. You want a big head and yeah. a small body. Because on the screen, you can't tell that Stallone is 5'6 or whatever. You, you just assume he's a normal guy with a, an even bigger magnetic head and big eyes and big expressions. <laughs> right. But know, still, did you know he still has the um, turtles from Rocky? I saw a picture from the other day. He's posed with the turtles from Rocky. They're in their 40s. The turtles. Yeah. The turtles are outliving, probably, right? Don't they live to be 100 years old? Yeah, they'd be, they'd be in their mid-40s. I, uh, I do often, wa- I'm often watching a film and I'm watching a leading uh, man interact with this leading lady and I assume even looking at them standing face-to-face, nose-to-nose, I picture him being tall. And her he's being, being pro- small. He's being projected on a big screen, I guess. But I, but it, it, it's, it always comes as a shock when I see actors eye to eye. And I always, I always think somebody's got to be standing on a box. But in fact, it's usually that they're the same height. Or the guy is standing on a box. <laughs> right. It must really limit the casting <coughs> of the Mission Impossible movies. You know, that dum, Rebecca Ferguson dum, woman dum, is 5'5". Five five. Nobody taller than him will get the, taller than her will get the job. 
There's that actress who's been making a lot of films lately who's really tall and um and there's no concealing it. She was in Inception. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. she plays Princess Diana in the new. Uh, she's not in Inception. She's in Tenet. Tenet. That's what I meant. Yeah, Elizabeth um, Debicki. She's Australian. Yeah, she's she's just like she's literally six four. Yeah, she's, no, that can't be six three. She's very tall and um. She's playing Princess Diana and Princess Diana was not that. No, and Dominic West is playing Prince Charles and he's only. Uh, he's six foot, but there's going to have to be some camera angles there, you know? Yeah. Cause Charles is tall and gangly taller than Diana. So, you know, you talked about the tactical advantage of this. So clearly there's some prestige that comes with height, even in our day when we would think, no, no, we're past such caveman concerns. I do. I mean, well, you interact with me. We are, you are a, a classic medium and I am a, you know, a general extra large. Yeah. You're four inches taller than me or something. Do you think that plays any role in our interactions does my height it's hard to say because you're also a big personality you know you're 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 not shy and retiring but that that might come with your height i don't know but does that play any role it doesn't keep you from from stepping on my toes at every opportunity this is an audio only medium this is a this is a level playing field (laughs) should we do a live should we do a um you know, the streaming video cast of the show, but we have to do it standing up. So my ideas look small and shrimpy. No, we'll just stand you on a box. <laughs> we'll do that at the end when we kiss at the end of every show. Um, but you mentioned the tactical advantage that comes with yeah. being tall. And uh, that's something that's existed for some time. There's a history in warfare of wanting uh, soldiers who are not just ripped, probably because that didn't exist at the time. Um, Strong like bull. But uh, but tall as well. Charlemagne was tall, although he was like thought of as gigantic, and in fact, turns out he was six foot one. At the something. time, he yeah. was the tallest man in Europe. <laughs> yeah. Nero had uh, his phalanx of Alexander the Great, which was just a bunch of guys, a bunch of Italian guys who were all the equivalent of six foot or higher. Um, so that would have been extremely tall at the time, and so did so did Bonaparte, your favorite. Right. Um, he had his tall guy regiment. Um, but chosen just uh, for being tall as a, as a way of intimidating or because they actually had a greater reach or what? I mean, why would you, I mean, I can see why you would want your bodyguards to be tall, but, but is there actually a tactical advantage? I think there is on, you know, there, there at least was claimed one, you know, like loading a muzzle loader, maybe the longer arms of oh, a yeah. taller man, for example, would help. But really, I think, uh, you know, the real purpose for this becomes clear in the case of um, the Potsdam giants. Uh, that was not their official name. They were called the Grand Grenadiers of the Prussian Army, or the Longa Curla. The you know, Longa Curla, long guy, long kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was Frederick William the First, Frederick the Great's father's uh, kind of elite core. Uh, they were they were grenadiers, and what what I didn't know about grenadiers, which I assume you do know about grenadiers, is that uh, Grenadier started out as a term for somebody who was going to throw a grenade. But because that, at the time, the grenade was an unreliable instrument, you know, today, any. Not like now. Not like, well, and today, all infantrymen, you know, there's not a special group of guys who throw grenades and the rest are like, hey, we need a grenade here. Get one of those uh, grenade throwing Joes. (laughs) To the front, to the front, (laughs) grenadier. But back then, that was an extremely elite job because the grenades were such terrible instruments that it required, you know, your, your bravest, your bravest soldiers to be willing to handle and throw them my grandfather taught grenade throwing in world war one 
it was one of his... Unfortunately, to the Kaiser's one. One of his jobs. Well, unfortunately, he was blown up by a grenade. No, Wait, is that true? Uh, no, no, no. Oh, he okay. survived the war. But, it, but uh, otherwise, where would I be? I guess that, well, he could have had... He could have oh, had I progeny think. before he um, well, my held on to If a my father had been born in 1915, I think I would be... Oh, you said grandfather. Yeah, grandfather, not great-grandfather. I was thinking great-grandfather. But, uh, but yeah, that was, I mean, as late as World War I, it was still... I mean, I guess still in the army, there's probably well, someone who teaches aim, you to throw the grenade. Right? I mean, like, when I, was, when I threw out that first pitch for the Mariners the other night, I spent a week practicing humble because, brag. I mean, I didn't even have... Uh, there's nothing humble about it. <laughs> That's I, true of all your brags. There's no... <laughs> They're never humble. <laughs> There was no, no, no nobody was going to, I wasn't going to die if that pitch was high or, right. or outside, whereas grenades are literally a matter of life and death. Right. Get it in the window. Get that grenade get in, in the, the window. Get it in the top of the tank, like in a, a Sergeant Rock comic book. <laughs> um, but because of that, you know, by the time grenadier, you know, grenadiers have been a thing since the 16th century, but by the time they became a kind of a standard unit of a, of a 17th century army, they had really just become kind of an elite all-purpose corps. Mm -hmm. Like these are the best soldiers, they're grenadiers mm -hmm. and they did not actually have grenade centric duties. Mm -hmm. um, and in the case of Frederick William the uh, first, who was the King of Prussia from 1713 to 1740, uh, he liked his grenadiers tall. Mm -hmm. He, he famously said once, uh, you know, uh, to me, the most beautiful girl or woman in the world is a matter of indifference, but tall soldiers, uh, they are my weakness. Rawr. My weakness. He my might, weakness. He, he might have said. <laughs> so today, you know, that he, he too could have been freer in his affections, I think, for a certain tall soldier, and, and he wouldn't have had to be impressed by girls or women. I mean, it's indicative of, of how much an army is sometimes the lover of a, of a king even more so than his queen. He can, uh, yeah, maybe the queen is one of the few people he can't order around as freely as his army, right? Right, right. And Frederick William I was, you know, accounts differ, but he was somewhere between 5'3 and 5 foot tall. Oh. So he was a small man, mm. um, perhaps with a short man's typical sensitivity. Small man on a gilded that. box. But in his case, it manifested itself as an as admiration toward uh, the tall men in his army. He was, you know, he was called the soldier king because he loved, um, he loved battle. The funny thing is uh, Prussia fought almost no wars during his, what is that? 27 years on the throne. Mm -hmm. Brief, brief intervention in the great Northern war because he decided maybe Peter would give him a nice part of Swedish Pomerania or something if the war went well. But except for that kind of a, you know, and that's like, um, you know, that's like Argentina flying, six guys into Kuwait or something, you know, it, it, apart from helping out a little with Peter the Great's Great Northern War, there was no actual military, but, but he did strengthen the military. You know, he, he created this big conscription service, so he swelled the size of the Prussian army. Um, he increased the, you know, there are a lot of tactical and technolo technological advantages. Infantry would fire faster under Prussian army than ever before in history. Um, One could argue that being a militaristic king who spends a lot of time wearing, um, you know, like uh, army medals and marching around and modernizing his army, who does, who then does not fight in any wars is actually the most successful version of a militaristic king, right? I mean, 
Well, he has, maybe he has a privilege that we don't know about. Maybe if he'd actually had to go to war consistently during his reign, we would know what a terrible uh, military leader he was. He just got to march him around in peacetime, so we have no idea. Well, exactly. But if you are if 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 you are regarded as a military genius so much that no one wants to engage your army mm. in battle, have you not already won? It's like mutually assured destruction, yeah. but you don't have nukes. So you have to do it with really shiny epaulets. You have tall grenadiers, and that <laughs> keeps the poles from trying to invade Prussia. Really tall shakos on your on your grenadiers. He also was kind of a great Santini type. You know, his his son was would go on to be Frederick the Great, right? Um, but Frederick was not interested in his dad's militaristic the upbringing his his dad wanted to give him, and it started very young. You know, he he all his gifts is he had a whole arsenal of weapons and fake weapons as his toys as kids, and I, I think when he was. Uh, is this right? When he was just six, he was given as a birthday gift a regiment of children for him to march around and drive. Yes. Isn't that what you would have loved as a six-year-old? That is exactly what I wanted as a kid, and it's what I want now. If you gave me 40, like, 14-year-old boys to march around in uniforms and give orders to, yeah. I don't think I would have any, I would never get into any other scrapes. You could make them work in your <clears throat> backyard and clear brush. Yeah, and when I came into a cafe or whatever, like four of them would go in first, and then they would click their heels. Then I would walk in, and there'd be ten of them out front. But demographically, the nation cannot provide every person our age with, what do you want, 20, 14-year-old boys? Who says every? The, the whole point of it would be that I was the only one that had it. That doesn't seem fair. What, every every single what have, middle-aged guy's walking around with 20 boy soldiers? Well, what have you done to merit it? Why you? What have I done to merit it? You just think you would enjoy it more than most people. I have four podcasts. <laughs> I guess if you enjoy it more than most people, there is a utilitarian good into giving those foot soldiers to you. Yeah, this is one of the things I wonder about billionaires. Like, there are so many billionaires now, and they have so little imagination. They don't dress with any flair. They don't do anything cool. They go to space. Some of them. But, like, if you had... If I was Richard Branson, instead of surrounding myself with beautiful stewardesses, wouldn't I outfit uh like a little mini army of of uh of like you, first of all what you want to do is you want to design military uniforms that are in pink and yellow so they really stand out like this whole green and black thing so boring pink and yellow military uniforms the kids, then, the kids will hate it well you know i feel like the cops should wear pink and yellow and they would hate it too but it would tame them a little bit and it would make them more visible in the streets. And you want to tame you want to tame your your little cadet corps here? Not, I think that that's a little problematic. But no, I want them to stand out when this, we this walk has been in. Problematic for ten minutes, I suppose. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's part of their education, right? Then they go on to a good university. It's not like I'm going to be fondling them. I want them to. You want to give them scholarships? Yeah, I want to give them scholarships. I want to teach them how to. You know, drill team is a very important part of a a young person's education. You want to teach them how to, how to chop firewood. Actually, and I don't, and they don't even all have to be boys. I think it should be a, I should be a, a, a plethora of genders in my, in my little, uh, honor guard. Only listeners will know whether that's, this is more or less problematic. <laughs> <laughs> 14 year old boys and girls. Got if it. I were a, if I were a billionaire, I would just spend that money on a little bit more interesting, like accoutrement. The funny thing is the future Frederick the Great hated this. He hated oh. having this, overbearing dad who gave him a little mini army marching him around uh you know as a lot of kids would because he was a he was a lover not a fighter you know he was a he had the soul of a poet i suppose the key element in this story is that he was also a boy and i am not a boy so it would be different for him to have a little army of 
of boy soldiers Lincoln because did this, he was right? a boy. Didn't Lincoln let his son like uh, go to uh, War Department meetings and and uh, they all had to give him little ponies to ride around and call him Major or something? My dad took me to meetings of the uh, Alaska Railroad like executive committee and I listened to them talk about locomotives, but they didn't give me any authority. That just seems boring. That's just, that would be me sitting coloring with a legal pad, hoping my dad's um, meeting ended soon. That's what happened. Uh, In this case, uh, Frederick the Great, the future Frederick the Great, currently Frederick the Small, just hated it, actually tried to escape to England at one point. His dad found out and executed the tutor that had tried to help him. Troubled, troubled father-son relationship because even though Frederick, well, Frederick Wilhelm the First was a, you know, never really fought a war. He was an extremely uh, military-minded dad. You know, he never fought a war, but he had an F-150 all jacked up with a, right. with a Punisher skull on, Army the, dad. on the hood. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and mindful of these historical precedents, Nero and Napoleon and so forth, having a, a troop of really tall men, he decided he wanted to have history's best troop of, of the tallest men possible. This is Frederick the Great? No. This is his father. This is his, this is his dad. Frederick, Frederick the Great be, is still a small boy plotting escape to... Uh, this would be pre-Napoleon. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's a hundred years pre-Napoleon. You're right. Yeah. Um, in fact, the, the Potsdam Giants did go on to last until the time of Napoleon. But you're right. This is... Um, Nero would have been the predecessor. You know, we don't know what kind of... What species of listener we're speaking to right. on this program. Right. They could be from a variety of eras, a variety of phyla. Right. Uh, they could be plants. They, they could, could secrete their own pungent musk. They will certainly have their own different smells. But almost certainly, if you can smell, you're going to have smells you prefer, aren't you, Ken? Exactly. There's going to be a smell of your species that is not socially acceptable and a variant smell that is. And you know who knows more about that than anybody else? Hmm. Is native. Oh, right. Native. Native who, uh, who cares about the products you put on your body. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is, uh, is going to be true across eras globally. You may want an aluminum-free deodorant. You, Almost certainly you do. Yes. You, Unless you are made of aluminum. You, you want a deodorant without, uh, you may want an unscented deodorant, for example. You may want broad-spectrum SPF 30 sunscreen for your face and body if you live in a a, a dystopian future. Right. It may be that you, uh, that your, your race evolved in a time when the sun did not penetrate to the earth and then the sky's clear because of a strong zephyr. And all of a sudden the sun is burning your, your pasty white ectoplasm. I can't imagine a time when you would not want to smell like coconut and vanilla or citrus and herbal musk or lavender and rose. I mean, everybody's going to want body wash deodorant that smells like that. And you can build your own personalized product bundles where you mix and match three of those favorite scents to keep them on rotation. So you have something for every occasion. You can think to yourself, this event or uh, ceremony I'm attending, is it a citrus and herbal musk? No, this is more of a lavender and rose party I'm going to. Stay fresh, stay clean with Native by going to nativedeo.com slash omnibus or use promo code omnibus at checkout. Why? Why would you go to that trouble to learn how to spell the name of our show? Because you will get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash omnibus and use promo code omnibus at checkout for 20% off your first order. So he instituted a core called the Grand Grenadiers where you had to be six foot two or taller. 
I'm in. Which was, you just made it. <laughs> but you would not be one of the more elite members because they were paid. They were paid very well. They got the best uh, uh, stipend and the best food and the best everything available in the Prussian army. However, they were paid according to height. Oh. So the taller you were. So you had to be 6'2", but there was no right. top limit. You would be the um, put upon uh, latrine cleaning corporal. Hardly. Uh, you'd be the shortest guy there and that's just how it worked. No, I have that CEO, uh, visionary main. They didn't have that. Um, he put them all in 18 inch caps so they would look even taller, even taller you know, uh, upwards of seven, well upwards of seven feet. Um, and again, they didn't really have any important duties. He didn't, you know, even though on paper, oh man, these, uh, these longer arms and a better vision will really help. But really what he wanted them to do is maybe just march around a lot in their nice looking uniforms. Do you remember when American basketball teams started to source super tall people from around the world, but with no no basketball experience? But that ended up working out for them, right? I mean, wasn't it true that at a certain point, just being tall made you good at basketball? Yeah, it turned out, you know, if you practice with these guys enough, you can turn Minute Bowl or some tall Romanian kid into uh, a passable player. Just teach them how to catch the ball in the post and then... It really doesn't matter if they place it into the hoop. That's that's the the end goal. Yes. Yeah. And you could, and you would see them just kind of like barely leave their feet because none of these guys can jump and just kind of set it like it's it's the the most polite dunk you've ever seen. Uh, and warfare was different at the time. You didn't have to. A soldier wouldn't have to like crawl through the mud and and you know sneak up into a tree or whatever. Everybody, you know, soldiering was just like stand in place. Point your rifle with these other guys. I mean, typical a, a typical troop of grenadiers actually would have, you know, some siege warfare or trench warfare responsibilities. Wait, it wouldn't even be a rifle so far as it existed. Yeah. It's pre-rifle, oh, so exactly. it would have been musket. It's right? a musket, yeah. Um, but again, he didn't care. Like what, what he mostly wanted was for them to march around the house, mm. march around the palace, followed by um, a bunch of Moorish men in big turbans playing cymbals and trumpets, followed by a trained, a tame bear. This sounds like the movie Time Bandits. <laughs> it cheered him up. Uh-huh. Like, much as you and I are cheered up to watch Time Bandits, uh-huh. he would be having a rough day in the palace because his his emo son is yelling at him again. Mm-hmm. And then he would be like, let's see the the trumpet, the tall guys, then the trumpet guys, then the... Oh, it's like Ian Holm as Napoleon? Yeah, it's like, the, it's like the living room of J.F. Sebastian, where he's got all the little Prussian soldiers. Of course, they're all very, very small, but... But that's what you'd have to do if you lived in an apartment. Well, back then you did have those like doll-like automata, like rich people would also have little robots like, like JF Sebastian. But this is exactly what I'm talking about. If you were a billionaire today, why wouldn't you have an army of tall, very natally and, and well-appointed 18 inch tall hat wearing soldiers marching around with a bunch of Turbaned courtiers followed by a trained bear. Well, it would be problematic to have all the turbaned guys, I think, today. Yeah. You could have... I mean, the whole... Everything's problematic, but... But but I would say in this case, especially so, if you're a billionaire who wants to see a hundred people of color play trumpets for you. But look, it's not, it's not a thing that you do like before a press conference. This is just what you're doing at home on <laughs> this your is aircraft your private, carrier. This is what you do on your, uh, on your Epstein plane or whatever. Yeah. You, 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 you hold auditions. It's not a thing. You haven't captured the, anybody. The, uh, if, if this pay really was a sliding scale based on height, his highest paid officer would have been according to Scandinavian legend, 
the Finnish giant Daniel Kajanus at seven foot eight, the tallest man known in Europe at the time. Can like you imagine? Seven eight. I mean, seven eight would make him the tallest person in the NBA ever. Is uh, that right? There's never been a basketball player taller than seven eight. I think at a certain uh, point your b- bones start to break. Down, I think right? they usually list the tall, the two tallest at seven seven. Um, but you know, according to legend, Kajanus joined this Prussian core. Although I don't know if there's actually any uh, records to prove this. The problem is, how do you get these guys? If you want a couple thousand six foot something guys marching around with a bear, how do you get them? You know, some were just volunteers from the uh, from around you know sure. word gets out so you hire tall people they stand out in their villages they might have already been in the army and they could be transferred to uh, this particular unit that's easy um some of them were recruits or deserters from other armies you know word would go out around europe that you would get treated and paid better a tall soldier would get treated or paid better fighting for the prussians and back then you know nationality didn't matter you could just switch sides whenever um, in some cases, these were gifts given from Frederick Wilhelm's allies. Oh, yes. Go, well, like, I, know, I know what you're into. Uh-huh. Would you like a, a tall soldier, my friend? Uh, the most famous case is Peter the Great um, received from German craftsmen the famous Amber Room of, uh, maybe you've heard of it, just this crazy mm-hmm. gilded chamber that was in the palace in St. Petersburg for many years until, mm-hmm. it, until it disappeared during World War II. I think there's a replica of it. Um, on display now. You know, Peter the Great was six foot eight. Also tall, yes. But he couldn't, he had another job. He couldn't become one of the Prussian. But Peter the Great seems like a case where, um, you know, he doesn't just seem like a a tall yo-yo put in charge. He modernized Russia. It's it's right there in the name, the Great. He's not Peter the Tall or Peter the Dumb. I wonder if there's, um, clearly there's the, the kind of feedback loop that comes with somebody who's just treated like they're good and special and has good ideas their whole life. Some of them turn out to be terrible and end up murdering sex workers or whatever, but some of them actually turn out to be self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah, where they, I feel are like good, the, they are strong personalities with good ideas. Yeah, standard deviation suggests that if you put enough tall people in CEO positions, once in a while you're going to get lucky. I'm just saying actually treating them as if they are CEO-worthy people will make some of them rise to the challenge. Oh. Probably. I mean, the human beings aren't that different from one another. Right. And so, yeah, you, you throw enough, um, you throw enough Peters at a wall. One of them's going to be the great. So Peter sent some of his soldiers that were shorter than him, but still taller than the mean to Germany in return for a very nice Amber room. Um, oh wait, the Amber room is a result of some, of a tall soldier trade. Yeah. <gasps> and, and an Amber room to be named later. Oh my goodness. The Amber room. That could be an omnibus it entry. It certainly sure. should be. Um, especially because of its strange fate. But this did not swell the ranks of the Potsdam Giants as much as Frederick Wilhelm hoped, which means he had to resort to other means. Um, his uh, Genetic manipulation. Well, that comes up later. His agents scoured the countryside trying to find st- strapping-looking uh-huh. um, son, son, village sons or uh, farmhands. And then, exactly. They would just negotiate with parents and or farmers to essentially buy these people from them. And money being scarce and times being what they are. Uh, Tall boys being hard to feed. Exactly. I guess that's true. Yeah. Uh, people would maybe be happy to to take a good price for them. 
One history of the time says that these agents were, uh, in the eyes of the people, eager almost as the Jesuit hounds are. Urgh. You know, the Jesuits going around trying to save souls. Yeah. But in this case, it's ambassadors of the crown going around looking for who's the tallest guy in the public house. Well, now you've been into uh, 16th and 17th century half-timbered homes. You know they have low ceilings. You're bonking your head all the time. Yeah. I would think if you were a tall person living in, in uh, these cramped quarters, your parents' small house. You, you think you would want to get out just for roomier accommodations? Yeah, get me to the palace where I don't bump my head. Maybe the maybe my feet won't hang over the edge of the bed once I'm in the barracks. This is a, This still is a problem traveling in Europe. You, For you, yeah, you get a hotel room and your feet are hanging, hanging off the edge, or they, or worse, they have those footboards. Like, why does a bed have to have a footboard? It's not a cradle, and uh, it's not usually the same height as the bed, right? Isn't it right. lower than the bed? But what it does is it keeps you from being able to lay on the bed if you are taller than five foot seven. This is a tangent, but I am just maddened by Europe's refusal to put wide beds in hotels and to put sheets on the beds you either you either get a duvet that's too hot or nothing because there's no sheets on the beds anymore so last night i it 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 occurred to me i'd always wanted to live in trieste and i was sitting kind of staring out the window of my house and i was like well why don't i live in trieste it's one of those things where you say yeah. Well, you know, why postpone your dreams? Are you waiting for someone to come and, well, and say, John, I just bought you a house in Trieste? No, I've always been waiting, you know, to, to stand on a train platform and there's a beautiful woman across the way. And I go, where are you going? And she goes, Trieste. And then I say, I'll see you there, October 1st, 2002. But so I went on and I started researching real estate in the Trieste region the region around Trieste, which is not called the Trieste region. This is a pretty normal 3 a.m. for you, just looking at apartments just, in Trieste. Well, you know, you can buy a pretty nice house in the mountains up there outside of, you know, in the sort of, you know, the Umbria region. Pretty, You can get a, a, a Gast house because it's this great, it's Slovenia's right there. You got Austria, you got v- Venice is there. The number one thing I look for in a real estate listing is where is Slovenia? How far is Slovenia from here? I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I was looking at some of these properties and I saw one that actually had a real king size bed, not two twin size beds pushed together. Yeah. Two, two like very narrow yeah. twin size beds. No, pushed no, no. Together. An actual, somehow they had sourced a real king size bed. And I did, I thought that they stopped king size beds at the, yeah. at the border in Europe. They must've smuggled it in through Constantinople. Yeah. It came across the sea because it was the only one I've ever seen. And I was, I rejoiced. I was like, oh. This maybe is a sign. Maybe this is my house in Umbria. But then I, then I started Googling something And they will else. list them as king-size beds to fool, fool yeah. uh, uh, unwary Americans. Yeah, and then you get there and you pull the sheets back and you're like, this is just two they, twin beds. They just pushed the narrowest beds they had together Ugh. and they kind of made a queen. How do they, they're tall people in Europe. How do they live? Europe actually had kings and queens and they can't, to this day, they can't tell the difference. <laughs> Thank you. We don't even have kings and queens. We just have their beds. We have California kings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Elon Musk. In order to, <laughs> right. In addition to, they would also get them younger. Um, in addition to sons and farmhands, if people gave birth to unusually long babies, Go on. newborn boys in uh, Frederick Wilhelm's Prussia would have little red scarves uh, tied to their cradles to mark them. For, for visiting dignitaries so they could, knew who to keep an eye out for in the village. If they were long babies. Yes, a promising long baby. Huh. Because, 
you, you know what happens when you see a baby. You're sure, like, you're like that, that is this baby is, long enough to be president? That baby is long. How did you get that long baby? Could that baby be a grenadier someday? He does seem long. Uh, there was a baby when my daughter was a baby. There was an, we knew another baby that was such a long baby. And I saw a picture of him uh, today as an 11 year old and he's a long boy. So maybe there is a correlation between long baby and long boy. I don't think it's, I don't think that's flawless. Yeah, no, I think it doesn't always work. Some, some long babies become regular, regular boys. But the methods of, uh, keeping his ranks full of tall men, uh, become increasingly troubling after that point. Um, I mean, you know, maybe buying farmers taller help away from them is weird enough, but, uh, they were not above press ganging people. They would, uh, but they were doing that anyway. It's true. But in this case, it's especially troubling because they could, you know, pick somebody out of a crowd. There's the case of a famous case of a seven foot 11. That can't be right. A seven foot 11 Irishman named James Kirkland, uh, who was uh, hired as a footman by the Prussian ambassador to London, but it was only a ruse. The Prussian ambassador had been sent over just for the purpose of pretending to hire this guy. So they could then say, hey, could you go on board that ship and get my mm-hmm. stuff? And as soon as he went on board the ship, um, uh, he got coshed in the back of the head. Somebody stood on a chair and knocked him out. And could you climb into this very large barrel and uh, and hold the uh, hold the top of this barrel for me? Well, you're, nail you're it in? joking. But the English historian Thomas Carlyle tells a story about the Potsdam Gents, which you know could just be British anti-Teutonic propaganda, but which is exactly that. A very tall man was working as a carpenter in the city of Ulick. And so Frederick's men showed up and said, hey, I need a, a chest for um, shipping stuff. It's got to be six foot six inches long. <laughs> the carpenter builds the chest and the guy comes back and says, you built that too small. And he said, no, I didn't. He said, yes, I did. That is not six six. And the carpenter said, look, I'm six six. I will lie in the chest. And he lies down in the chest and they close the lid and nail it shut oh. and send him on to Potsdam. Unfortunately, they forgot to drill air holes. You're kidding. No, and tall people cannot transpire through their skin. They have a lot of amazing powers. I don't. But it's one of the things about tall people. They need to breathe. They need oxygen, it turns out. I'm surprised and he they arrived did, dead. They didn't make a little door where they could put bananas and water in there. Yeah, it must have been a... I mean, where's Ulick? I mean, maybe it wasn't that far a journey, but no it, he's, he certainly needed air for those hours in transit. But that carpenter was ruining how good his work was. Tall priests would be persuaded at gunpoint to give up the uh, the cassock or is, whatever is it is that, that really priests persuasion had. Is that really persuasion at a point where, where you're pointing a gun at somebody? Are you persuading Well, them? let me ask you this. Would you say that was persuasive? Because if it was persuasive, I then suppose, I guess they were persuaded. I suppose. I feel like persuasion feel, is, is a word that should have some boundaries. They should be wheedling them? <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like, you know, that's more... That's more I mean, where's, where's the line between persuasion and force? You got well, me. We, we talk about that all the time in our culture today. I hope not. Oh, like? In other, in other realms. Well, I don't have to. You and I don't talk about it, but. No. Um, we're going to, we're, we're going to have to just throw this whole episode in the garbage. <laughs> it's all you talking about how many 14 year old boys you want trailing after you when you walk into the malt shop. Uh, but that was not the worst thing he did. Press ganging was the least of his offenses. He tried to create taller soldiers by putting soldiers on the rack. And uh, he would apparently just sit and eat his lunch and watch, uh, watch people painfully stretch. As a, per- as a person at the lower end of the, the potential tall so- soldier uh, demographic. Would you, I, would you do it for the, no, for the pay raise? No, I object to this very strongly. 
You could, if you did it, maybe you would start to get the paycheck of a six foot four grenadier. It's not, no. not worth it. No, thank you. Not. I worth don't it. think it's. La- I think when you get stretched on the rack, I don't think it's a lasting stretch. And here's the final, the final way he got taller soldiers, or tried to, which is what it's principally remembered for, because Charles Darwin uses it as a test case in The Descent of Man. He started a eugenics program to hopefully breed taller soldiers. He found tall girls and he put would, them together. He would find. Well, no, that wouldn't work. Oh, two tall girls. I see what you're saying. No, he found tall girls and he and he and he. Any Do I need to explain this to you? Introduced them to tall boys and and tried to see if they liked each other. That's right. And I don't think there was that much uh, free will involved in the hmm. in the dating game. It wasn't a thing where they were like they had a, he had a dance or whatever, and they only invited tall people. Let's see. yeah yeah, yeah. See he happens. had a long computer dating system for the tallest <laughs> Prussian women and the tallest Prussian men. No, he instituted a breeding system where uh, yeah tall women were introduced to his tall soldiers. Good heavens. And, uh, you know, Charles Darwin in The Descent of Man refers to this as the only time that his natural, you know, those kind of evolutionary principles have ever been put into practice with human beings. The only time? Which almost certainly shows that Darwin lived a very (laughs) sheltered life. I mean, we now know some pretty ugly things about, uh, you know, whole breeding farms that were created by Virginia slaveholders, for example. Right. Um, You know, chattel slavery here. We think of it as an import for the southern states, but in fact— they would be a valuable export too if you could produce um, future slaves. So you know, big income source for the slaveholder and his economy would be to, um, you know, breed new slaves, which he could then just sell as clear profit, which right. is just horrifying. But yeah, they you know. So wait a minute, you're against slavery? Just to be clear, okay. This is one of the most repugnant things I can imagine. Okay, good. But there were breeding farms set up, and you know, with all the abundant uh, abuses you would expect that you know the rapes on the part of the of the white overseers and you know choosing partners based on their perceived fitness to produce valuable offspring they treated exactly as they would somebody today who would be trying to produce a better racehorse or or, you know fitter cattle Uh, so disgusting but you know darwin you know says nope the only time this has ever been attempted was that 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 eccentric king trying to produce taller prussians Anyway, so this was just a main uh, aim of his army was to produce tall men to put eighteen-inch hats on. So at this point, decades. it's it, it, he's expanding it beyond just having an honor guard that marches around his palace and is now creating, trying to create a super army of Teutonic warriors. Yeah, he wants thousands of these men, even uh, though even though really they never fight, and the taller the better, I think, because that that's prestige in his eyes. My my army can. Uh, can look over the head of your army. Um, after his death, his son, Frederick the Great, became Frederick the Great and cared much less about these kind of military matters, as his childhood would suggest. Um, you know, he was still, you know, the the the, um, the Boston Giants, the, the Grand Grenadiers, did stick together as a unit. I mean, they were eventually downgraded to a battalion, but there were like more wars fought in this period than there ever were during the soldier King's reign. You know, they, they would have fought in the war of Austrian succession, uh, in the seven years war. They, in fact, they were not disbanded until the 19th century after some, some, uh, decisive Prussian losses to the French during the Napoleonic wars. And did they, um, <clears throat> did they show, did they have any kind of, um, better results on the battlefield? No. History is entirely silent as to, I mean, if anything, having effectively served as a 
honor guard, color guard, army, you know, royal mascot kind of a thing. Maybe they were less well drilled or uh, less valiant under fire than the real soldiers would have been. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if since you think your path to success is surrounding yourself with an honor guard of, uh, I mean, you didn't say you wanted tall people to surround you. No. In fact, maybe you would prefer them to be short. I would. To make you look taller by comparison. That's the, right. The, the, the Chris Novoselic uh, tactic. Yeah, absolutely. And and believe the, I should say that a pink and yellow uniform is also what I would be wearing. I mean, I think a, I think pink and yellow are their colors that, that really befit me. In my in my picture of this, they're kind of wearing, you know, short shorts and knee socks like a like a 1930s era scout corps, whereas you look more like a South American generalissimo. You've got a pink and white, uh, you know, hat with a lot of scrambled eggs on it. And well, I, I feel it's more Austro-Hungarian, right? It's not. I don't want to look like a generalissimo. I want to look more like a like a um, uh, arch archduke. What's the hat? Uh, in a situation like that, I think. You know, I generally am more or less hatless, but maybe a tricorner hat. Wow. Well, you know, I guess people will see you coming. If the the future perhaps has record of us of a unusual man in a tricorn hat, a pink and yellow uniform and a tricorn hat, followed by a, a, a squad of young girls and boys unrolling a pink and yellow carpet for him as he strode into Home Depot. It would be an unusual look in Seattle, but you know, it's, I'm already tall. And that concludes the Potsdam Giants. Entry 972.1S1704. Certificate number 10109 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, um, this episode will probably still be talked about and argued about uh, because either you futurelings will be very tall and, and looking back and thinking six, three at nothing, or you'll be some, you'll have, you'll have reverted back to being some kind of splooty little fern or do you ball. Have, do you have a prediction here? Like what's the direction for the human race? I mean, we've been getting taller in the past a hundred years just due to, Less malnutrition of children and maybe more um, more red meat for for strapping Dutchmen. Right, but also with the current uh, heat waves and firestorms and uh, so forth, don't you want to be a smaller creature? I was just thinking that. I mean, megafauna evolved because things were going great. There yeah. was nothing to eat them and lots of stuff for them to eat. But the only the only reason that mammals even survived was that they were little rats that could hide in dark holes. That's exactly right. So it's uh, it's the tall ones that are going to have trouble perspiring in the in the humidosphere of of future Americas. You think you're ready for doomsday, but in fact, you just have too much surface area. Yeah. You're going to become banging on the door of my bunker, and I'm going to slide open that little grate and ask how tall people are, mm-hmm. and I I can't let anybody in over six foot. They're not going to survive. So I imagine futurelings are going to be small, and they're going to be. Uh, well, and they'll probably not photosynthesize given how choked the atmosphere will be with smog and, and the, the smoke of forest fires. But there will be abundant carbon dioxide for them. They'll, they'll love oh, that. That's true. 
They'll love all those greenhouse gases. That'll be like, uh, that would be like butterscotch pudding to them. I think we come back to algae and ferns over and over. Uh, pink slime, pink mold. Well, anyway, uh, pink mold of the future. I apologize for everything I said in this episode. If you, uh, if you still have social media, God, I'm so sorry. How did we not eradicate it in our own time? But you can find us at Ken Jennings and at Joan Roderick at Omnibus Project, various places. Um, you can uh, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Omnibus Project, where you can help support the show with your generous contribution and in return get an uh, sort of an unlimited access to Ken and less less so to me. But um, you can come in my bunker if yeah, you're five foot eleven or shorter. Five foot eleven or shorter. Um, you can find me on Patreon at John Roderick. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can hang out with other, other futurelings, given, or hopefully other futurelings um, that are also small enough to survive the coming apocalypse. Don't hang out with tall futurelings because the, the, the bell that tolls tolls for them. Maybe what you want to do is to be the, a really tall future link surrounded by a bunch of little small ones who you can bully into bringing you seeds and nuts. Oh, yes, right. Everywhere you go, little small future links Have to do your bidding. Yeah, walk into the future, the, the algae cafe. The future can support a tiny number of, of giants. Um, with the other. like the present. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a very late-stage capitalism. Uh, it was this show a, a suggestion or w- did this come, did this spring from your mind? No, this was, uh, the show was suggested by Daniel, a, a listener who contributed to the Patreon. And, uh, if you give at the washing bear level or above, once a year, you get to suggest a show topic, a concierge service we provide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we work with the future links to make sure that the shows fit the omnibus ethos. But of course they've heard the show and have a pretty good idea. Although somebody the other day did suggest a show we had already done. Really? Some, somebody said you should do a show about Hikikomori, the young Japanese hermits of Japan. And I said, we have already done a show about Hikikomori, the young Japanese hermits of Japan. <laughs> um, but luckily they had a few other suggestions. There so are a lot of a collaborative shows. Process. They can't possibly have listened to them all. You know, usually when someone suggests a show to me, I end up doing a different show where I tangentially reference the show that they mentioned. But don't let that inhibit you from giving to our Patreon and suggesting shows. It still counts. It still counts. We still talk about your thing. <clears throat> yeah. If I mention your thing at any point in the show while I'm talking about <laughs> the airplanes of the Cold War, then uh even it's it even counts. if it's just to say we will not be discussing <laughs> Hikiko Mori. <laughs> and finally, you can send us actual physical media, uh, including boy, all we we get all manner of mail here. And it brings us uh, great joy. It's a delight to open your packages. It's an old-timey thrill to open physical mail. Mm-hmm. And to read your postcards. And you can send that stuff to us at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Listeners, from our vantage point here in the taller, more distant past, we have no idea how long our oversized civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, however, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.